Welcome to Highway Diary. This is episode 343 with my buddy, Ariel Isaac Norman. How are you? I'm good, I guess. How are you? So you just had a podcast about uh, with a trans pedophile, self-identified trans pedophile. And I had a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, like, at first I saw it in my Facebook feed and I was like, oh my God, you know, this person self-identifying like this. And uh, so I listened to it through, I cut clips. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I want to go through this systematically. So, um, all right, let's talk about prohibition and let's talk about the human cerebral cortex. And because uh, a lot of issues came up about, oh, a child should choose their own destiny. That's what the trans pedophile was saying. Mm-hmm. The child should have more autonomy. Okay, your brain, your cerebral cortex is not finished developing until you're 25 years old on average. So when neuroscience yeah. first became a field, they discovered this. And then they had prohibition because they said, look, you probably shouldn't be drinking with your brain that's not developed. Um, And it's 25, but let's make it 21 to be realistic, right? So prohibition of alcohol wasn't the, you know, government telling you what to do in like a bad way. They were like, you know, probably don't want to have a drinky wet brain before your hardware is done. You know what I'm saying? So... Yes. Well, there were also a lot of women were advocating for this because their husbands were getting drunk all day long and coming home and beating them and raping them and things like that. And so they really and they and, and were just uh, spending all of their money on alcohol and not having a lot left for their wives and children. And so th- like that was a big reason. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, of course, but what we learned from attempting to use the law to deal with these things is that that doesn't work because then people are only going to do the bootlegging thing. They're going to drink more, et cetera, and more dangerously drinking moonshine that they're making out of their bathtubs, which killed a lot of people. Um, And at the same time, we can see in European countries where the drinking age is like 16 or they don't even bother with it or something, people are less hung up on it. Whereas because we've made it 21 in most places in the U S it creates this bullshit culture because everyone knows that everyone drinks in college. And so then everybody just drinks to black out. And instead of learning to have a glass of wine, you know, with dinner or something like people are drinking way too much. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't know where that fits in to all of this as a, as it uh, is analogous to the, uh, the non-offending pedophiles suggestions, but we do have to keep that in mind is that, yes, that was what they were trying to do was help people because their brains are not developed yet or whatever, but it didn't work. So, so I was an exchange student in uh, Germany when I was 16 and uh, you know, that it was just casual. Like we would nip in and have a, a beer and a turkey sandwich and go to math class. And uh, I felt like that was an interesting system because in my high school in New Jersey, people at the one frat party where they could drink, they would uh, black out, you know, instead of like, because it was like, oh my God, now's our opportunity. Let me have my first beer and 50th yeah. in the same night uh, type of thing. But also Germany's right. had, they started a bunch of world wars, you know, so you got to factor that in maybe. Uh, anyway. Um, I met Yeah, Jeff, but I- anytime that people get into that, if people we pro we prohibit something then there's a binging of it so yeah i mean 
so let's yeah now let's bring this into the pedophilia thing and see what we can make of all of this <laughs> oh my god the analogy okay first of all i'm very codependent so i have to talk about our relationship first the Gret- let's just Gret- let's talk about uh eric and ariel i met you at mikey swenson's house i had no idea who you are mm-hmm. we were doing some kicky punchies um and i was like I- i'm not sure if i have a lot in common with this person but then you just start running bits and you know you're your identity, your gender identity, I didn't care about because I started to realize one thing. You, I, you and me are alike in this way. Your first identity is as a comedian. Your, your, your sex and orientation, all that stuff, I think is secondary. Shit. Is that fair to say? I might, let me switch to the other Wi-Fi network where I live. Okay. I'm- this one is being dicey. without canceling our thing. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Are we still there? Yep. I can hear you. You can hear me. Okay. Now I can hear you. Yeah. I just switched Wi-Fi networks. I thought it was going to kick us out, but it didn't. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, I didn't hear what you were saying after something about we were just running bits at kickboxing. Yeah. And before you're uh, late, uh, ask me if this, uh, tell me if this is a fair statement before your sexual identity or anything like that, your gender, anything like that, you identify mostly as a comedian. Is that fair? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I would. I think identities in general are more fluid and amorphous than a lot of these identities that people cling to are, you know, it's, it's always confining when you put yourself into a box. Now there's some amount of it just makes sense to have nouns for your aspects and it can be it's a shorthand it's just like saying you're at this point saying you're a man or a woman but at this point saying anything in terms of especially gender and sexuality and even ethnicity or anything it's really a shorthand for something much more complicated it's hard to find anyone who's a hundred percent of any kind of identity word um and who always will be a hundred percent of that and so an identity that you know, yeah, I would say comedian is something I would be much more comfortable saying I'm 100% always going to be a comedian. Um, that's just how my brain works. I mean, at the same time, I'm other things and I'm not funny every moment of the day, but my reaction to things that are difficult, sad, awful is going to be, I would rather laugh at that than be constantly crying about how horrible things are. So, um, but it's I just like- more interesting to be funny than it is to be pissed off. And I just like your style on stage because, you know, you don't have even your own community, trans, gay, everything, LGBT, everything is on the table to just make ruthlessly fun of. And so you don't come off as preachy. And I learned about, uh, you know, from watching Jim Norton, he makes fun of himself so badly about, he has this joke, you ever squeeze your man boobs on New Year's Eve and shoot yourself in the head like his just his self-hatred is so unbearable that then when he points his finger at a politician it's like oh shit what's he gonna say about this politician he just destroyed himself for the last 15 minutes you know so uh, there's an aspect of that with you Mm -hmm. where you gain so much credibility with the audience as a performer because you set you identify yourself and then you start destroying your own community which then gives you laser eyes for other things that you want to 
go after it. You see what I'm saying? What? Yeah. And I wouldn't put it as destroying my own community. It's that when you are in some kind of community, when you have certain kinds of identities, it's also like more you're right or people will listen to you more or whatever about when you want to make fun of yourself. If you want to make fun of yourself and your own people, um, you have more license to do that and you just are going to have more perspective to do it. And, you, you know, if anyone's going to be doing it, the people who are these things should be making fun of them because there's always stuff to make fun of. There's always hypocrisy. There's always bullshit. There's always unexamined aspects of it. There's, you know, things that just aren't coherent. And so it's like, I would rather, yeah, I mean, I would, I have to make fun of these things. I can't, I can't see something that doesn't make sense to me and not call a spade a spade. Um, and so it's like, oh, I'm going to make fun of all this stuff because, you know, people, there's always some kind of orthodoxy, whether you're a, a Republican and a Christian, or if you're a, a trans, you know, liberal, whatever. Um, there's always some kind of orthodoxy that winds up. That's you know, just how people are. And so the people who are inside of that church, if you will, um, inside of that camp, all, we always need comedians to be pointing out where we're full of shit, where maybe our story's not straight um, where, where our moral hypocrisies lie, et cetera. And so that's just always been, you know, fun for me is to go, Hey, you know, where am I full of shit? Where is my community not seeing things? And yeah, I'm going to point those things out, um, in a way that's centering myself because I'm not, I don't want to speak for other people any more than I have to, but when I can just use my own life, and I'm going like, here are things that I can make fun of here. It allows people because people need to think these things through um, and it allows people a way into that where we're just using my life. But then is it making implications for other th people's lives and things that are happening in our culture? Absolutely. But I'm not telling you what to think or what to believe or what's right or wrong. I'm just pointing out some things. And if you're laughing at it, you're seeing that there's some truth in what I'm saying. And that's really how a lot of comedy functions is you can't help it. If you're laughing at it, that means there's something happening there. And then you can examine that at that point and decide if that should inform your politics or how you treat people or how you think of yourself or whatever. Also, I'm very thankful that uh, years ago, I made the switch from being an improv comedy performer in a troupe to a stand-up comedian. And I think part of that was a lack of confidence in my 20s, where I just did not have the confidence to stand and go, these are all of my ideas. I can't blame a scene partner. I feel bad for uh, that. Uh, people that are in Broadway that got shut down during uh, COVID. And, you know, I have the sense that you are very brave and like a survivor and you kept your overhead as low as possible. I know you have like a kind of a group communal living situation and you're your own person and you keep, uh, you know, you're able to keep doing stand up with your confidence because you're also very intelligent and, uh, you know, you stay as a performer on your own ideas. So anyway, I don't know my point there. But uh, I see. well, it is funny. You know how people are, though. They ask you if you have writers. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, people ask I'm me like, that too. It's like, what yeah, are you talking about? Like writers? How do you think this works? But I mean, yeah. there are you know people on TV who have writers. Obviously, even people who are doing hours of stand up. There are people who are rich and famous enough, or whatever, who have a team of um writers that they work with a team of friends you know just people that they kind of just shoot the shit with and write but the jokes become theirs 
And there are people who even, you know, even kind of at the low to mid levels, especially if they're doing roast shows, they do have friends who help them with those jokes or whatever. And there are people who, I mean, I've written lines of people stand up, you know, and that's, you know, so it's not like that, but yeah, I mean, 99% of standups are writing our own material, except for the ones who are stealing it from others, but but like, you know, we were smoking, we were doing some kickboxing and then we were running bits on each other. You mean Mikey. And I think that's like, OK, if someone adds a tag and that goes in your act because you were bringing it up type of thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're all like these uh, wayward, about the extent of the writing <laughs> wayward uh, freelancers who help each other. Speaking of people with writing rooms, and I wonder about this, you you your Twitter handle is Ellen DeGenderless. And I wonder because, you know, my. Uh, online identity is very important to me to always put my real name in there. Uh, a lot of long ago, people told me to change it to Hollaback, but it's Hollerbach. That's real. It's I got this fucked up German name, you know. Um, why did you anchor yourself to Ellen DeGeneres in this online way? Are you trolling her? Are you a fan of her? How did that happen? Okay, well, first little point of order. That's actually my Instagram handle because it's too long. Twitter won't let you have Ellen DeGenderless. So okay. my Twitter is like, is Demi Binarial, which is really a joke about Demi Lovato. But anyway, um, and, and everything. But, uh, but I chose that because, first of all, I was doing a, uh, I was headlining in Pensacola and a comic when I got off stage um, suggested did it he's like you ever thought about this this is years ago now and i was like that's so good um it's just too good of a joke and it's something that is very fun to say as i'm getting off stage or anything because i do want people to follow me and whatever so it's just easy to say hey i'm ellen degenerate degenerate <laughs> ellen well it's not that easy to say but um but it's an easy way to kind of throw in an extra laugh um i'm ellen degenderless and people remember that a lot of people can't spell so there's that but um, or if I'm talking to people and I'm like trying to get them to follow me just one on one conversations or a little bit after the show, I feel less douchey because it's a funny name. Um, then I'm like I'm asking them to follow me, but they're getting a laugh at the same time. So it makes it easier to do my little self-promotion. Um, but I mean, the big thing is like, no, I was a huge Ellen fan uh, as I was like discovering stand up in my youth. Um uh, her HBO specials are in, amazing. I think the here and now is one of the best specials it's ever. It's like flawless. I I still am not even even now that I've done comedy for eight plus years, like there's still a part of me that doesn't understand how she pulled off just the effortless flawlessness that it seems that she does pull off in that special. Like, so I was a big Ellen fan and I know that, like in my first two, three years of stand up, um, you could definitely hear more Ellen in me. And every now and then there's like little lines and bits and tricks of, of, of intonation and timing and things that are still informed by Ellen. Although I think I'm quite my own stand up and I'm informed by so many other comics too, that, you know, people, people will, but that's the thing is like, because I'm a lesbian and especially when I had my shorter hair for, which I had for a long, long time, um, and then people would just default to comparing me to Ellen or Tig and because people are very visual and stupid. And so there's this thing anyway, where that was just going to follow me. Um, and so it's fun to play with that then. And, uh, and, and also 
you know, just the same way I go by my full name, including the Isaac of my middle name, uh, I like to put these things out there where it doesn't matter what I do with my hair or what I don't do with my pronouns or how vague I am about this or that, or what I say on stage that goes back and forth about my gender. Um, I'm still going to put it out there that I'm in this camp of people who are uh, gender nonconforming and always have been, and have always dealt with that. So it kind of, um, it all helps be a part of that package. Uh, Ellen, you know, Ellen had her fall from grace uh, a few years ago and everyone decided that she's a monster. My position has always been like, well, you know, she may well be a monster now. That's kind of what tends to happen. It, she doesn't live a normal life. She was given so much power, love, money, fame. Like I can't actually imagine. I have no idea what it would be like to be in that position and for everyone to think of you as the kind lady and to have all of the pressure of like, you need to be a saint. I mean, for so long, one of the things that was so impressive about Ellen was that she was extremely clean. Um, here she was this lesbian who people were just calling her Ellen degenerate for no reason, um, just because she was a lesbian, there was all this pressure. And so she was so funny, but it was almost, it just was extremely clean. Every now and then she would make a little joke where the punchline would be like her calling someone bitches, but it was extra funny because she never cursed. You know, it was like, and she was just not talking about sexuality or anything. I mean, at one point in my first couple of years of standup, uh, a friend of mine, JT Kelly called me the Wario version of Ellen. <laughs> it was like, but it was like, it felt like she paved the way for me and for others to get to do that. Cause like now I can talk about lesbian sex and all the details of that. And I can, I can be funny in all, in all kinds of crude ways. I don't have to be clean because Ellen was clean. I don't have to be clean. She won the hearts and minds of America. And so I'm like to someone who did so much for the PR for gay people and for lesbians and, and like was a pivotal part. I mean, there was a website for a long time. I was still there. Maybe this got canceled, but it was like after Ellen.com. And it's kind of like our Jesus, you know, there's before Ellen came out of the closet and after. And so to me, I'm like, yeah, did, is it possible that she told people that she didn't want to make eye contact with everybody who works there because every day of her life, uh, thousands of people are in love with her and want her time and energy and attention. And she had to draw a line and say, look, <laughs> like, I just need every new intern to not come up to me and tell me their life story and about how much they, I saved their lives. Like, I actually can't take that anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just making all this up, but I'm like, I just, the idea of any of us judging these people for they're in, they're in a completely inhuman situation. Most of us are mentally ill in this country at this point, just because of modern society. Yeah. Um, so the idea that someone who's living a life that we can't even begin to imagine what that's like, isn't handling it like a saint. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. She might be a bitch. I don't really care. We're asking, she's in a, she's living a life that is like so beyond, you know, what she gives to people is so beyond. I'm like, I don't like, yeah, don't fucking make eye contact with her. You peasant, you know, who, <laughs> like she's earned it. So I have the same like sort of feeling uh, about Adam Carolla. I think when he did Loveline and the Man Show from the 90s to 2003, I think he was really good. Then he locked himself in his garage and started podcasting five days a week. 
And the things I would catch episodes now and then, and he just became the most bitter, out of touch person. He made a movie called The Hammer about how he's the greatest boxer in the world at 50. Like I'm funny, but I'm also secretly a badass. And he had his intern watch it. And she goes like this 20 year old girl. She goes, I don't think it's my demo. He fired her. And it's just like the stories he would tell hero stories about himself. It's like, oh, so you can't take criticism because you're a douchebag. Like how long has it been since you've been to an open mic and you're headlining the new club at Cap City, but then you don't sell tickets. So they push it back a month. I'm watching you. I know what's going on anyway. Um, you grew up Mormon. Speaking of uh, growing up in a certain way and then having to flee uh, orthodoxy to grow, uh, I know this. I'm asking you a big question, but you know, in Amish, they have like a room springer where uh, you know, at 16 years old, they're able to go out to the English town and deal with the uh, corrupted Americans, and then they either defect to being uh, working at Quick Check or they come back to being Amish. Um, what was your room spring at? Like, what, how did you defect? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a little bit like a self, uh, prescribed room spring. When I, when I was 17 and going to college, then I still, at that point believed in Mormonism, even though I knew I was gay. Um, my gay friends were like, how can you be a Mormon? I'm like, because it doesn't matter if I'm gay, if it's true, this is my eternity we're talking about. So I still believed in Mormonism. And then I, as I was in college, like I stopped going to church and was kind of letting myself have a period of like, let's sin now, repent later. Uh, you know, now I was like, I had had a girlfriend in high school a little bit, but that was like, who were, you know, being bad and breaking the rules. But so, and I tried to kind of repent from that. But then in college, it was like, okay, like my freshman year, at least it was like, well, all this girl wanted to date me. I'm like, I'll date you. But like, you have to understand, like, I'm still going to be a Mormon one day. So it, yeah, it's just a sin now, repent later thing, except that I knew I was going to have to repent for planning to do that and repent for planning to repent for it's ad infinitum. Um, so I, but I would just kind of let myself live in a place of like, well, I'm not going to go to church. And I, I started drinking coffee my sophomore year. Like, uh, you know, I was kind of just letting myself enjoy the sins that I um, was most attracted to, which is lesbianism and coffee, you know, neck and neck <laughs> one's more of a deal breaker for me. Um, but, and so, or which one's unhealthier? I'm just kidding. Okay. So <laughs> they both are both good and bad. Um, so I, I got to the point though, where I like read enough books that I could be sure enough that, cause I went from believing Mormonism is true to being afraid it was true to being like, okay, this is a human invention, just like everything else. Not that there can't be goodness and truth to Mormonism. You know, they, religions at the end of the day are also fraternities and they do a really great job of um, creating a fraternity, creating social capital. Um, so that being said, it's not really the church for you if you are gay or don't want to have crippling OCD or give that to your children or <laughs> if you want coffee, stuff like that. Um, there are people who are trying right now to really re reform the Mormon church. And I would love to be able, I wish it were like being a Jew where I could be a secular Mormon and just, but still partake in much of the networking that um, comes from having been born into that. 
Um, but yeah, it was a, you know, it was really the biggest turning point for me was, uh, watching the South Park episode about Mormons. Um, there's a story that they go, which it's like embarrassing, you know, but I owe Trey and Matt a huge debt of gratitude for making that episode. They, there's a story that they tell in that, that was told to us a certain way at church and as a faith promoting story and the way that they portray it in the episode, I was like, yeah, that does make much more sense. And then from there, I just started reading more and more books that were kind of examining, you know, real Mormon history and theology and whatever. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, I don't have to believe in this anymore, which was a very, very fun moment because then it was like, okay, if I don't believe in Mormonism anymore, I'm not sure that I believe in Christianity. And so I don't, don't necessarily believe in anything. And so I just was like, I'll just have a moratorium on belief. And now I get to explore and I could believe anything and I can look into every world religion, which is what I always wanted to do as a kid anyway. Um, and so, yeah. I think uh, comedy, I comedy is a superior religion to Mormonism. Well, it's a great fraternity, too. It's very similar um, in that way, because anywhere you go in the country, you probably do have a couch you can sleep on. Just like if you're if you have a national religion, you know, because if you're a certain kind of Protestant, you might not have that. Um, but Mormons have a directory all over all over the world. You could probably find a couch to sleep on. And the same is true for comedians. Um, so I really like that aspect of it. If one of us dies, we'll all be at the funeral. You know, I'll bring a casserole to someone if they're you know what I mean like so um it's not the same but it does it, it's funny to you know because people talk a lot about community and how a lot of people are missing that and comedians do have a community and it's pretty cool and I'm glad because going for Mormonism I know what having a community is like and I think that for a lot of people who didn't really grow up religiously or who grew up you know vaguely Protestant where you go to one hour of church and you have coffee and leave um you don't really understand what we mean by community. I think people hear the word community and just visualize a congregation of people all looking forward and going, Oh, that's a people together. And like, no, no, no. It's an interlocking weaving of relationships where everybody it's like having a small town, you know, you live in the world where we live in modern society where Dunbar's numbers out the window, but at church, we, we were in groups. And in fact, Mormons split churches up once they get too far past Dunbar's number of 150. It's like, once you get into the 200 range, they split it up. Um, and so, which, you know, they did before there was research on that. This is, you know, that kind of wisdom that just happens with religions because they do care about tradition in the past. And, and so, um, yeah, you live in this culture where everyone knows everyone and you, there's less, you don't have to use capitalist systems doing business, right? Because instead of using someone's app to find a babysitter with the middleman, you can trust your friend's kid to do it because if they do a bad job, if they steal from you or whatever, then they would get in trouble, you know, like because of all of that, that social capital that you get, um, is so real. And it's what helped Mormons thrive when they were struggling and going across the West. It's what has helped Jews to thrive everywhere. Now, of course, then people start hating on you when you thrive and, you know, um, have done a lot of damage to both Jews and Mormons as they, <laughs> but whatever. But yeah, so I see the value of community and I'm, so it's been really nice to see like, oh, that's funny. I can also get that from the comedy world. Uh, speaking of South Park, you know, I always say, uh, smoke pot and worship aliens at at the end of all my sets um 
because I had a friend who was a Scientologist and she saw the Scientology episode of South Park where it was flashing on the screen. This is what Scientologists actually believe. And what they're talking about is the esoteric knowledge behind OT level three, operating Thetan level three. There are seven levels of Scientology. And my friend is like, that's not true. We don't worship aliens. And I go, you, uh, what OT level are you? And she goes, I haven't gone clear yet. I go, at three, you're going to learn about Xenu. What? And she's like, are you trying to get me off my religion? She freaked out. And, uh, you know, I saw her one more time. We hung out. And then the next time I saw her, she was on L. Ron Hubbard Way in L.A. working for the Sea Org. Um, her egg is poached. Anyway, here's what I want to ask you about. I'm going to skip this. <clears throat> um, okay. I, I alluded to Cap City. Cap City was waiting for Romo Room to die because they didn't want to have two comedy clubs in the domain. Romo turned into the North Star Comedy Club for two months, and I played the last show, and it was a very bittersweet experience. But uh, Cap City has been pushing their date back of when they're going to open two weeks. And then as the open date happens, two weeks. The open date happens, two weeks. I've been advertised on Facebook over and over to enter a contest for $25 to see if you're the funniest person in Austin, right? Contest. And then they'll give you $1,200 if you win this. I don't really trust this because their opening date has been pushed back so many times. And headliners that were on the books that you could click to buy tickets for didn't show up. And then, the, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, uh, is this a sinking ship before it even starts? So I'm very uh, wary of cults, pyramid schemes, and uh, Ponzi comedy, as I call it. You just did the Moon Tower Festival. Now, you, you can sit. Now, there's an entry fee to something like this, but you could get access. You could get access to community. You could kind of go on the fast lane of, uh, you know, if you kill a set at just for laughs, you could, like Dave Chappelle did in 1991, you know, you could get an agent and manager, and all of a sudden you're on movies and blah, blah, blah. So, like, that's the dream, you know. But if you get too high on the totem pole, then you got out of touch. So, you know, but you want to you want to just get a a down payment on a mortgage. I don't know something. What, what who do you trust? But I'm also like well, I have all these like anxiety issues. I'm like codependent. I'm I'm a, I'm a weirdo. You know, I, I'm like I flagellate myself uh, with insecure yeah. thoughts. Um, I'm dog shit at networking. I, I'm good at like. A couple things. Uh, I think I'm a, a decent performer. And I got some clicks working for me. I got some really good relationships cooking. So, but like um, sort of a big moon tower festival, I always wonder if it's a, a hall of mirrors and I'm just going to be paying money, worshiping this cult. Uh, and then the, there's the people at the top are, are harvesting all, all the resources. Yeah. From I, let me, two things real yeah. quick. Moon tower, you don't, you don't apply to you're chosen. So there's no paying for that. Um, it's an invite only festival. So there's no, there's none of that kind of Ponzi scheme. Um, Cap city contest you do pay for. Um, but I would say that like, it's really not, I wouldn't think of it as like hoping to get the prize money. You're not going to win, um, for a number of reasons. Um, and, but what you do get out of it is one to three really good tapes in front of a good audience. How, high quality. There's a guy, Dustin, who um, will record them all and then he'll sell them to you for 25 more dollars or you get it for free for your finals round if you make it to the finals. Um, but so you're getting tapes that are festival submission length. 
you know, the first couple of rounds are like six minutes, or I think they just change it to where it's like six minutes, seven minutes, and then eight to 10 for the finals. So you're getting high quality and not just in terms of the video, whatever, but like with, you know, 300 people in the audience, really useful tapes. And so to me, I'm like, I don't care if I, I mean, I would be embarrassed to not make it to semifinals, but at least if not final, you know what I mean? Because I, I was a finalist the last two years that they had it in 2018 and 2019. Um, after two years of uh, getting like, uh, I think that was like my first two years, I was an alternate and had to do that horrible thing. And then the second year I got th- through alternate to semis and the next year I was in semi. It was, it's been a nightmare, but I always get good tapes out of it. And so to me, like, it's not that high of a cost for the quality of tape that you're guaranteed to get at least one six minute tape that it could be very useful to get into festivals and things like that. And just, you know, to have a good tape to send to not just festivals, but to send to bookers in other towns. So um, that part of is what I would say for that, but yeah, no, the comedy world, there's no middle-class, right? It's, it's all poor, mentally ill drug addicts. And then (laughs) a handful of people who make it, (laughs) but you know, for a lot of people, this is a community, like we said. And so I've stopped for a long time. I was just so frustrated with all these people who I don't think are talented enough. Um, they're not, you know, they're just, yeah, they're just not, I'm like, you're not meant to do this for, for your life. Um, why are they here? It's like, I just watch them bomb or whatever, you know? And I realized like for a lot of it, it is a community. And so some of these people wind up getting happier if they can just date someone who's in it or, or finally they realize you can be in the community and be, and manage one of these theaters. You can be the community and become a manager or an agent, or you can produce um, sketches for, you know, you can go behind the camera, you can, et cetera. There's so many ways to be part of the community and contribute and to be creative. You could be on a writing team. You could become a writer for a comic that you think is, you know, whatever. There's so many possibilities for that. And so if you're not good at some of the pieces of it, or you don't really see this, becoming a certain kind of career, or you don't want to spend 12 years hoping to, to get out of the working class. And, but then if, if you're, if you never do, that's going to be a failure for you. If, you know, you have to think about the cost benefit analysis of all this and really meditate on what you're meant to do in life. Um, but I mean, for me, I'm like, I have no choice. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I ran away from it for a long time. I, I have to use my voice in this way. Um, and I love doing stand up, and I'm quite good at it. I also like, I can t- count on my hand how many times I've like actually bombed, you know? So, I mean, I bombed for my standards, plenty, you know, one tiny thing can go wrong and I'll beat myself up for days. Don't worry. But in terms of like, I'm good at this. And so, and I'm good enough and people thank me for doing it, you know, like whatever. I'm like, I get enough validation and I have an internal sense that I have to, I, you know, I feel kind of sorry for people who are doing this in a way that's more confusing than that. If you don't know that you have to be doing this, I would say, even if you kind of like it or whatever, that you should pivot at least to doing some other version of it besides trying to make it or whatever. Um, But it's, yeah, for me, it's very obvious and clear. But so in that sense, it doesn't really, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, you could think of it as like the American dream though, how there's all these poor people thinking, no, change the rules because I'm going to make it one day, whatever. But at the same time, you know, there's a, there's a truth to that. Um, I would be happy, but I, I want just like with the economy, I do want us to be 
kinder to everybody so that there is a more robust middle class um, because then we don't want to feel so bad all the time. And so I'm always trying to get, you know, these showrunners who are making several hundred, if not more than a thousand dollars doing a show, but who pay zero to 20 bucks to the comics. Um, I'm always trying to say, dude, don't you, it doesn't have to be that way. I know you got fucked when you were a comic, you know, and when you're on shows, but if we all just share a little bit more of the pie, then it doesn't have to be this bad. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we already do these like weird communist things where you were on the show with uh, four other people and they all shat the bed, you know, and just were walking people made the room horrible. We're not funny, barely got any laughs. You get on there and destroy. And then everybody walks away with 20 bucks <laughs> and you're like, you know, or if there's a tip jar, especially, and you're like, those were for me. You know, I mean, not that this happens all the time, but plenty of shows like that where I'm like, you know, sometimes there's too much communism in this and there should be an amount of that's when I thought of a show where it would be fun, where people just tipped you for your jokes, you know, where it was like we had a tip jar. They could put it you try to put it in your pants or whatever. But people coming up to the comics and being like, you know, giving you money when they like what you're saying. I think that would be so fun. I think that'd be fun for an audience. And I also think it's just like, let's see what people want to give that money to, you know? Okay. But, uh, arrow to be clear, I know I'm a comic through and through. I, this is what I want to do. 100%. My, my question was the highest and best use of your resources at the time, like cost benefit mm -hmm. analysis, because I'm making inroads in certain other ways. And I just wonder if, um, you know, I was in New York city and I went to Eugene Lang College at the New School. And I watch all these parents uh, at the school next door, NYU Tisch, spending $70,000 to have their kid the best actor. And it's like, how many fucking uh, openings are there to be a movie star every year? And so you're spending $300,000 on your shitty kid when he could have used that money to make a movie to go to Sundance instead of to, you see what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm not like, Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm confused of whether or not I want to be a comedian for the rest of my life. Like I literally have no other skills personally for me. I'm saying yeah. like, what altar should I worship at? Do I worship at the Cap City yeah. Comedy Club altar? And maybe that would be very beneficial for me. It's also just weird times because they were closed for two years for COVID. So I'm just like trying to hitch my, uh, you know, fishing line to a silver star that's going to take me to the next step, you know? So it's very confusing. Oh. I wouldn't hit yourself to any of these things. Um, there's no clear altar right now. Uh, I, I mean, from at least, I mean, not that I know that this is the greatest way to go, but since I got to Austin, I've just tried to do every show I can do, make friends with everybody I can make friends with. Cause you never know where the opportunities are going to come from. Um, you can't really rely on any one thing as what's going to take you. And in reality, the biggest opportunity that's about to happen uh, is Joe Rogan's club. Um, Cap City, it, it, Cap City and Rogan's Club are both, they keep pushing the dates back of when they're going to open, but at some point or the city will come back. I'm, I'm have complete faith that that's all going to be fine. It's just things get delayed, whatever. It's weird times economically. Um, but, you know, Joe Rogan's Club is a much bigger opportunity. Cap City is just another comedy club. Love them. Great comedy club. Has one of the best reputations in the country. Um, and they've always been very supportive of me in many ways. And I hope to get to work there and I more than I ever did before. Um, but that being said, 
Uh, what's changing about Austin that makes it so that I don't move away from here is that we have more famous people moving here and creating a, a, a they have a draw. And so they're bringing huge audiences out. And so if you really want to um, have a good chance of accomplishing something in here, you should just be going to every mic you can so that you get on increasingly more shows. And at some point you start getting booked on the Vulcan, you know, do kill Tony. Um, those are the best, you know, and just, but also throw shit at the wall. If you, you're going to have to do that. If you want to make it as a comic, you have to get back into that life of, you know, five to seven nights a week doing three to five mics or whatever, go through all that until you're known enough on the comedy scene that you're getting booked all the time. You know, like it's, that's, that's what I would do. I wouldn't about, you know, not give a shit. It's just like, you can't worry about cap city. That's just one tiny piece of the puzzle. No, I know. I, and also I have trauma from, uh, I used to work on reality shows and then like they would get canceled. They're like, Oh, we're, we're going to do this for seven months. And then two weeks in they get canceled. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I'm trying, uh, you know, to just navigate. Plus I got some charges pending. I got to go to court May 10. Look, uh, it's a little complicated. And Uncle Eric's like, <laughs> are there, are there any things that you like doing on the internet? Cause some of the people getting the most success right now are just funny on TikTok, And then they get a hundred, 200,000 followers on there and a bunch on Instagram. And then all of a sudden they have a draw and then they get booked on stuff just because they have a draw. You know, um, I am an intern on Klaus Schrupp Jr.'s Instagram, but to be honest, I really don't like that guy. I don't want to talk about him. He's a very abusive friend. Um, I think you met him one time, but um, mm -hmm. I don't, I really don't want to talk about him. Um, so you're okay. You're about to do the common take it festival in Houston. That's what, you know, you're, you're a genius at promoting yourself. Uh, you got the gender fluid <laughs> podcast. You got politically. I am horrible at promoting myself. Uh, <laughs> you're better than me. You got, you got certain skills. Um, and uh, everyone likes you. When I drop your name, everyone likes you. So uh, that's you know, good to hear. Like, I'm always worried that people don't. That's as good. I'm like a 50, 50. I hear weird things. Um, so you had a, <laughs> let's, let's get to it. We've been talking for almost oh, yeah. an hour, um, but I just want to catch up and talk a little shop. But you had a, a transgender, self-identified trans pedo on your podcast, and you gave non-offending. Okay, she's attracted to children and adults, and has never uh, touched a child, and promises never to touch to touch a child. Which is interesting because that's like saying I identify as a murderer. How many people have you killed? None. Huh? No, because pedophile is the attraction. Your right. pedo children or whatever file love. So it's like you're attracted to the child. But that's why they say child molester is someone who if you said I identify as a child molester and then they were like, how many kids have you molested? None. That would be weird. <laughs> yes. Whole thing's weird. Um, but if weird. you yeah, pedophile, you could, just like you could identify as gay, but you're 14 and you've never had sex or whatever version of yeah, it. Yeah, I see that. Like I identify as a serial killer. Like what's your, I don't know. That's, that's the analogy that comes, keeps coming up for me, but you, you had two. That's because we've used the word pedophile colloquially, colloquially for a long time to mean someone who does fuck kids or whatever. And so that's one of those things. And that's why some people say maps, minor attracted persons or this, that, or the other, because they want to distinguish so we can say like, so because if someone wants to be able to talk to a therapist and not be put in jail for saying, Hey, I'm attracted to kids, you know, and I really need help. Then they should be able to do that. So it, it would be nice to have some language 
to distinguish. And so that's what they're just trying to say. Like, yeah, people use the word pedophile different ways, but there's child molesters and then there's people who are attracted and they're not. And a lot of times people molest children, even though they're not particularly attracted to children. And then a lot of people who are particularly attracted to children, whether they're attracted to both adults and children or just children aren't molesting kids. So, you know, that's why we're making that distinction. You had two disclaimers uh, on your episode. I'm going to play both of them. Hey, everyone. A quick note before the rest of this is that uh, due to the sensitive nature of this content, I had to take the episode down and modify uh, my guest's voice to be uh, less recognizable. And uh, because not I, all the messages that I had gotten the first few days of this episode were out were very positive and were thanking me and my guest for our bravery and for our compassionate and thoughtful look into this difficult issue. But, um, uh, but my guest's partner became too nervous that someone could find her identity and that it would make her unsafe. And so they asked me to, um, to change her voice. That was the solution that we came up with so that we could still have this episode out. Um, but I had already mixed the whole episode, so I could really only do that by changing both of our voices. So that's why uh, we both sound trans now. <laughs> okay, so you had to change the voice, change the identity. Yeah. This person doesn't want their name on it. You know, I get all that. And station note two. Yes, I, you know, I, I, I think part of the appeal is that it's a hilarious premise to me that I get to, you know, talk to a trans woman for a while. And, but the reality is that we have a very thoughtful, beautiful, compassionate conversation about how to improve society for kids so that they're not getting molested as much. Um, not never going to be able to get it down to zero, unfortunately, but how we can help kids get molested less and how we can help the people who are afflicted with the attraction to kids. Um, because that sucks for them too. So this is it sucks for them too. By the way, your voice is uh, moderated there, so you, you know you're not speaking in your native. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's interesting because um, I've had intrusive thoughts in a weird way. Like when I was going to the dojo every day when I first learned Muay Thai, anyone who is the height of there's this thing called Bob, who's like you know a dummy that you kick his head. Anyone who is the same height, I would be like. I could head kick this person retarded right now just from the train. So I would have intrusive thoughts of like, oh, they're the right, like I could head kick this person, like, you know, just like on the street or whatever. Never did. That's an intrusive thought, you know? So if this person, you know, it's, it's so hard for me to sympathize with this person for obvious reasons, having nieces and nephews and all that, where it's like, Every kid they see, they have this intrusive thought of like, oh, that's an attractive person. I don't I don't think it's every kid. I think it's still only the sure. kids that are hot to them. Right. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Do you know what I mean? I think right. I'm pretty sure that would be horrible if you were literally attracted to every kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? No matter how fat, no matter how obnoxious. <laughs> I think it's still only the hot kids. My so. friend uh, Kyle Woods has such a funny joke. Um, he goes, oh, people are into kids. It's disgusting. They, they always have like Rice Krispies on their fingers. Oh, they're right. sticky. <laughs> <laughs> I always just say, I don't understand wanting to fuck kids. I mean, sometimes you're standing in line behind a couple of 15 year old girls and they're talking and they're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe we can't take selfies at the Holocaust Museum. What is that? And you're like, well, I could understand fucking them to death, you know, whatever, but not for not making love. Um, so clip three here. This is, uh, this is where we start to talk to your guests. 
That being said, do you want to introduce yourself? However, however you want to. I well, you know, I am, you know, with the kids. I uh, I don't really know how much I did find information I want to give. I don't know about that besides that I'm also a trans one. Uh, yeah. Um, I realized I was in the kids a few years ago. And it's been strange to say the least. So you you realized you were into kids a few years ago, you said. Um I know you don't want to give like identifying information, but could so so um this person, you know, realized this and went to a bunch of support groups. Um, so they started going to meetings to alleviate their symptoms. But at the same time, I believe that this person is in some sort of feedback loop where they're sort of associating with a lot of other pedos, right? So I well, they I'm, didn't go to they didn't go to groups. There's no groups you can go to. They found, I think, things online, groups online um, where you can be anonymous and then you can talk to other people who, uh, yeah, have experienced these attractions. So I think that's yeah, that's, that's what okay. they did because so, they said they would love to talk to a therapist, but they can't because they've had a friend talk to a therapist before who was immediately reported. Yeah, and they have mandatory reporting. Yeah, which it's it's up to the therapist how to interpret that because if you are like presenting uh, a danger to but but if you say that you're not going to molest a kid, they don't have to report that. It's it's up to them to interpret whether it's whether you're posing that threat or not. But you can't just rely on that a therapist is just going to trust you, and you know so she just can't. But um yeah, but she did find they find communities online, and I mean I think a lot of what these people who have these attractions i mean in the kink world uh it's generally accepted right now that it is healthy and fine to draw pictures of things that you're into to do erotic fiction um you know most of these people are pretty much pro uh if you could do child sex dolls that that's a good thing um, their whole thing is like, as long as you're not hurting children, there's nothing wrong with any of this. And, you know, I always ask like, because there's, there's been some hypothesizings from psychologists. I mean, not that, you know, Freud is pretty, pretty, pretty outre, but like, there's been some idea that, well, maybe if you, um, if you indulge in some of this stuff, uh, then it will just lessen. It's like the two schools are like, if you you indulge in it, then that'll satisfy the craving and you won't go further. But, or if you indulge in it and maybe it desensitizes you and then you want more. Um, and how she put it to me was that, uh, it, that's not like, she doesn't, she doesn't struggle not to rape people she's attracted to. Um, the same way I don't struggle to rape people that I'm attracted to. Now men struggle a little differently perhaps. Um, but she's, you know, also chemically castrating herself down to the sex drive of a woman essentially. So that's helpful. I think if you're going to be a pedophile, you should be trans, you know, or not a trans man, but you know, if you're attracted to kids, you know, the government used to put just gay people on into this chemical castration situation. And now these trans people want to pay for it themselves. The best, that's actually a good joke to make though, is about how the safest pedophiles are the trans women. Um, because they're taking testosterone blockers and that, uh, helps them to be less, uh, whatever. But so that's the thing is like, 
just because you're attracted to someone doesn't mean that you would ever just rape them. And so these people seem to feel very safe and fine being like, look, we'll draw our little anime cartoons of this stuff. Um, you know, she would agree that actual child pornography is completely wrong and bad and disgusting and evil, but that she would feel like it's a good thing. It's 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 fine to go ahead and indulge in the pictures and the fantasies, but to not. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what she does. I don't th- I there's not I don't think that there's a big community of like minor. Th- there might be some minor attracted people who are also like. I would never even look at a picture or read a story, but I think they're in a, I think the general consensus in that world right now is we won't touch kids, but we'll, we'll draw pictures and write stories. This is so messy. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about before about alcohol prohibition. What's the best way to do if you ban it from everyone, there's going to be moonshiners making, making bootleg child sex dolls, you know, out of like a cabbage yeah. patch thing with a fleshlight inside. And then like, so yeah. there's a whole underground community of, uh, but then, you know, in Germany, they make the drinking age 16 and then that might contribute to certain degeneracy, but there's other things. It, it, they put less of a stress on the importance of it, which means, you know, it's kind of like Amsterdam, all drugs are legal. They have the le- least amount of drug addicts because they could get it. So it's not a big deal when it's, you, you got to go down a dirty alleyway right. to pick up your stuff. But, like that's Yeah. But most of the drugs, many of the drugs that we think of as like the bad drugs that are legal are legal in the sense, not that you can get them at the corner store. Um, They're legal in the sense that you can go to certain clinics and say, hey, I'm an addict and we'll get clean heroin instead of buying it on the street. Just point of order, because I think sometimes when people hear all drugs are legal, they're thinking, oh, you go down to the the Trader Joe's and get your crack. No, Um, it's a it's in a safe and regulated, you know place and yeah so it's possible that if we had a sort of methadone child sex doll clinic uh mm-hmm. situation that that would be better um because who knows what happens there are some people who are young and savvy at the internet and they know that they can find this group of people that they can come out to because i think i think if you feel like you have to be alone and not tell anyone that you have this big thing going on um like she said she used to just have intrusive thoughts about being attracted to children and it's possible that that intrusive thought situation led to her actually being attracted to ter- you know it's just terrifying that that could happen to someone and who knows we don't know um but if you are having those thoughts or if you get to the place where you're like this is a big struggle for my life i think being able to talk to people seems essential um I think if you carry that and repress it and deal with it, like that's just, I, I, I think about the, the things in my life that aren't anywhere near being attracted to children that I've tried to deal with in that way of not talking about it, of repressing it, trying to ignore that problem. Like that doesn't go well for me. So I can only imagine if it's a secret that big. Like um, you're a Mormon. All you want is, is to be w- with another lady and have coffee. And you just kind of like, no, no, no. Mormonism, Mormonism, you know, Joseph Smith. Uh, and you live in two worlds. Um, you make a great joke here. I just want to point this, this, this is the next clip here. When you say that you're into kids, is there an age range? Uh, yes. Um, you know, I, 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 been to people between three and 55, you know, I'm not an exclusive pedophile. Um, uh, what we still get to, I had a feeling to say, you know, like, uh, nine to 14 ish, I would say. Nine, nine to 14. And yes. That, so that one's the one that's hepophilia, hepophilia. Yeah. yeah. Do you know where that comes from? Where we get these little I have, heads? Pe- 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 I have no idea. I think it might be Greek or Latin. 
That's a great joke. That's a great joke. And, you know, you're right in the pocket right there. You're talking about this person just said they're into someone between three and 55, which is like, oof. And then they're like, well, three year old. They said three to 55 first. And then they said nine to more specific. Nine to 14 is their sweet spot. That's their sweet spot. But they've been attracted to three to 55 in the full range of it. Um, And uh, which is like me and boobs. You know what I mean? My nine to 14 would be B to triple D. But yeah, you know, there's an A cup every now and then if attached to a woman I'm super in love with. (laughs) Sorry, just thought it'd be a hilarious juxtaposition to make a three-year-old an A cup in my (laughs) That's a hard one for me because it's like, like, I don't know. You have to compartmentalize that you're talking about this. You don't imagine your niece. You know what I mean? You just go into comedian lockbox brain mode. That's what I do anyway. I know, but it's just like, you know, when you're around kids, they're, they're just so vulnerable. They're so like, even a, a kid is walking with flip flops on a sidewalk. I'm worried that they're going to crack their fucking head open. Like, that's my like kind of like instinct pops in immediately. So when this person says well, they're very cool. resilient, <laughs> they'll come back. Uh, all right. Um, let's do this next clip. From your trans and my. my when I was really in that self-hating phase, I, had, I uh, confided in a few friends about it because, you know, like I, I felt like I had to talk to someone. And uh, most of them were, were pretty okay with it. You know, not like okay, okay, but like they, uh, they reassured me, like, you know, the fact that you're so concerned means you're probably not going to do anything. Okay, so I think a lot of people would wonder if you're attracted to both adults and kids, it's kind of okay, and it just reminds me of when you ask a bi chick why she needs to come out to her parents if she's dating a dude or whatever, you know. Um, but there is, especially with this, I feel like there's another layer of like, I can see why you'd want to confide in, to a few friends for sure. You, you know, yeah. everyone needs to confide in things. But do you do you feel like you wish that you could be more out about it, or is it just like I, mean, I just wanted my I like friends to know? I do kind of wish I could be more out about it. Okay, so if I could just have a little thought experiment, right? So, so yeah. let's let's take this completely out of it. Let you're you're in H E B Heb grocery store. Is that for the juice? Um, you're in this grocery. Oh, store. There we go. There's the Hebophile. See now, what are we supposed to call people who are really into H E B or juice? <laughs> if these pedophiles have taken Hebophile. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to get, I'm trying to ingratiate into the Jewish intelligentsia. So I'm just saying what I have to. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Let's say you're in the ice cream aisle. Okay. And you really like Rocky Road ice cream, but you also really like mint chocolate chip ice cream. Right. And then mm-hmm. it comes out uh, in a documentary that the only way that they can make Rocky Road ice cream is if. Um, by fucking kids. <laughs> yeah, there's massive child abuse involved. Yeah. They can't get into it, but they take the peanuts and they throw them individually at a baby skull. It's the only way to get the, the consistency right. of Rocky Road ice cream, right? right? They have to be completely destroyed. Um, you Now, you know that for sure, because psychologists have been like, look, we got to close down this Rocky Road ice cream factory. You know, it, it, the trauma is, is not getting good outcomes for our society. 
um, have mint chip and shut the fuck up with your preferences. Now, now this, this might sound rude, but I'll just play devil's advocate here. Like you are not, in my opinion, you are not your preferences. In my opinion, you are not your tastes. You are, if you're like, that's what drives me nuts about hipsters. Oh, I like this band. Oh, you don't know about that band? I'm better than you. Like my tastes are like more refined than you. Ugh. What did you do, hipster twat? Nothing. You like a band? Okay. Sh- like that has nothing to do with you, right? So your tastes are, and your preferences are not you. And to spiral about this is just narcissism. Have me an ice cream and go to work every day. Mind your business. So that's what's going off for me. It's like this person is like a, a minor attractive person, which I don't even, uh, that, that term bothers me. Um, but it's like uh, part of being an adult. I love parking in handicap stalls. Why? Because it's, it's so close to the place. I don't have to look for a parking spot. I love, I, my preference is to park in a handicapped person. I'm not handicapped though. I'm able-bodied. So you know what I do? I don't park in a handicap thing because I'm not a psychopath because I realize that that's there for a reason. Although you did just come out to me about wanting to park in the handicap spot. So I don't know <laughs> because that's, a, do you remember what she said right after she said, I kind of do want to be more out about it. Um, I'm trying to remember what her reasoning was other than just, you know, I think again, it just feels like a burden to keep that a secret and to not be able to tell a therapist because I would give her that much. I would say you should be able to confide to a few friends and your online thing seems like a great place for it. Um, you know, you find the anime on Twitter and then you, you, you search around enough and you'll kind of figure it out. Um, and you should be able to tell a therapist. You should maybe even be, there should maybe be a certification for people who deal with this kind of issue. Um, so that you could trust these and you don't have to burden like an average everyday therapist with like, oh my God, what? I don't know how to deal with fucking pedophilia. I'll just turn her in, you know? So we could have that situation going on, but then otherwise, yeah, I think especially if you're attracted to adults as well, it makes it very like, why do you even, um, need to talk about this with more than a few people? But at the same time, you know, she talks about how in her life, because she has, uh, she's attracted to both. She's helped people to, she's helped other people who are attracted to children to get a little bit less hung up on that attraction and to start being attracted to adults. Many of them are socially retarded. And so they don't know how to hit on uh, other adults. And so it's easier for them to befriend children and to get, and so they, I think their brains just kind of go with that and they don't know, you know, how when someone's attracted to you, you often are more attracted to them unless they're being clingy and weird and um, trying too hard. But, you know, it's flattering when someone likes you and someone right. gives you a little tension and is staring into your eyes a little bit. Sometimes you're like, oh, oh, you like me? Well, then maybe I do like. And I think because these pedophiles, many of them, again, are socially retarded weirdos, um, they're not getting hit on by adults. They're not they're just there's no feedback loop of that kind of interest. And so if they can learn some social skills and go to some places where it's like, oh, maybe we could hit on each other. Maybe then. So I think she's doing a good thing, uh, helping some people who are attracted to kids also become attracted to adults. That seems like a good thing. And so because of that, I could see her argument that the more out she's able to be, the more she could actually, uh, you know, you could, you could imagine a, a world Amsterdam like where she could put her shingle out and say, if you need help learning how to be attracted to adults as well. I have experience, um, with this myself and I would like to kind of be your, uh, 
you know, groom you into being attracted to a children too. I mean, that's a, you know, like that's just something she does for people, but that could be a business. She could be a, you know, a therapist for people. If that's, if that's really working the way she says to, she's, she's gotten um, people to be more attracted to men as well, who had issues with men. I think it's mostly trans women who kind of have a self-hating thing that they had to run away from, you know, so not, not liking their bodies. They couldn't like men at all. She's helped them with that. So it's like, seems like she's actually pretty good at helping people um, to evolve and develop their sexuality. So if that's the case, and I could see her, it being a good thing for her to be able to be more out about this, just like you could, uh, a heroin addict is also, also likes other drugs, much less food and whatever. Um, and so you could think of it that way. It's not just two different flavors of chocolate chip, but you're, they're really into heroin. And so, um, that's just a big part of their life and a big struggle. If they want people to know them and love them and understand them, then, they want to be able to be somewhat out about that without everyone just condemning them and thinking they're completely horrible. I don't know. I mean, I could see it. I don't yeah. think, but it, I, I don't know why anyone would want it to be something where you're wearing on a t-shirt going around the world going just so everyone knows, you know, you don't need to wear that. There doesn't need to be a rain, a, you know, a rainbow flag, another one of these queer flags for pedophilia where you put it on your bumper sticker. I think that would be over the top, but if we, if there was a section in a magazine or on whatever, you know, a little tiny thing on Craigslist that was for fucked up stuff you wanted to advertise, and then you could put that there and not go to prison, you know, that amount of out about it. It does seem like there's some room for our society to allow people to be more out about this in certain contexts. You, you touched on something interesting, um, like what if these, these people are a little like Asperger-y or socially retarded? And so if you say hi to a kid, they're just open and they'll say hi to anybody. And yeah. is this, is this the root issue of this more of a rejection dysphoria? So if you are attracted to another adult and then they go, no, I don't like you, you smell bad and uh, your politics are stupid and I'm not attracted to you. That's rejecting. So I've been in a party where I didn't know anybody. And I didn't, I had like rejection dysphoria. I was just feeling insecure that day. And so like, then I just hang out with the dog. Like I just say hi to the dog. Yeah. Like the dog's not, he's gonna, you know, so you scratch his belly for two minutes. He's your best friend. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and then I use slowly, I warm up and they're like, oh, whose dog is this? Okay, now I'm in the group of adults. Now I can like, right. just like as a, a conduit in. So, so this is, I know this is bizarre, but like, I think a rejection dysphoria or like uh, is, sort of a root cause like you were saying like the social retardation aspect of this yeah um i think i think there's a there's a component of that for a lot if not most if not all of these people but i think that also you have to factor in other things because it doesn't matter how rejected i would be by adults um I'm not attracted like the physically that because I have all kinds of intrusive thoughts and it's not like I haven't had intrusive thoughts about, you know, what if I am attracted to kids? Cause for a long time, that was what people said about gay people. They were worried about getting on the elevators with us and you know, whatever. And so, you know, I've had that. And then I just kind of very quickly talking to her, I think you hear me go through this. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, but physically that's disgusting to me. You know, like when I think about the sex with a kid, I'm like, I, you know, I don't even like it when adult women aren't developed. So you know what I mean? Like that's so, so you, that would have to be there. You would have to still have this crazy thing in your brain where you could be physically attracted to children. So I think for most 
people, or at least most females, that's just off the table. Now it's possible because if you're male, if you have, you know, y'all have a different testosterone thing going on. There's a spectrum obviously with y'all and your sex drive. But, and I, I mean, when I say male, I mean, I'm just talking about I'm, whether if you haven't transitioned to woman yet hormonally, whatever, it doesn't matter whether you identify as a trans woman at some point or not. People who are male are much more likely to be uh, attracted to children and or to molest one. And so it's possible that y'all's sex drives are just high enough because again, for, for most men, they're not like I am with my narrow range of sexuality. Like there's kind of body types that I'm into and there's a range. And outside of that, I just can't get it up for you. Um, but I think for most males, y'all will fuck a lot of people. There's a huge, even if it's not your favorite, you'll still be like, well, I just don't like to fuck. Um, and so I could see that maybe for particularly for males, if there's maybe there still has to be a little genetic something in there. But then if you're the kind of uh, I mean, I like the term socially retarded. because It's funny to me, but um, you know, I just I wanted years and years ago. I wanted to I thought it'd be fun to make a documentary called socially retarded and just document all the different kinds because there's you know, now we just started calling everything Asperger's at some point. But it's like, no, there's all these different things. Um, but then I thought it would be fun to just call the same exact same documentary high functioning. <laughs> it's like probably can't get away with calling it socially retarded. But um, anyway, but on your podcast, I figure I can. So, uh, I think that that has to be there. I think, but I think that it, it makes sense to me, but I like, I am like very Freudian without the cocaine. I still have that same sense of like, this makes sense <laughs> for sure. So, it, but it feels right to me, but who knows we could be completely full of shit, but it feels right to me that if you a little socially retarded and you get rejected by adults, you don't know how to deal with them, but kids are nicer to you. It's easier to talk to kids. Your brain's a little childlike because you got Asperger's, yeah. whatever, and you have a male sex drive. Um, then there's going to be some room, but there may also still need to be some kind of genetic thing in there that goes, you know, I think, and maybe it's just to get a spectrum, but some percentage of people and especially in a larger percentage of males have the potential to also be attracted to children. I'm starting to think it's quite rare for people to be only attracted to children. I think even, you know, like the famous one, I think there's still, uh, for most people, there's still some attraction to adults. They just get really fixated on the attraction to children part. Yeah. So um, I, I want to talk about, I think that you were like, there's something missing like the, in this person and, and the, the trauma, I think, is the element that sparked all these intrusive thoughts, particularly the age mm. range of this particular person when the trauma was most severe. But I want to talk about something before I get into that next clip, because this is really important for me. And, and I think a lot about this because um, the reason why I have issues with the law is because I got in the way of someone getting meth and then they called the cops on me, okay? So uh, my roommate was trying to get meth and take somebody with him on a ride to the dark side and I protected that person and he called the cops on me because I blew his meth deal. I go, how wired is your brain to get this drug, right? Where the person that we're splitting rent together to keep our overhead low, you betrayed them for the meth, right? So, so I always think about this, right? And this is a very famous right. study, but two, one scientist was like, I want to find out if cocaine is addictive. So he put 10 cages with 10 uh, rats and he had one water bowl and one cocaine bowl. 
they all died from cocaine use in three days. And he goes, cocaine is addictive. Boom. And like nurture nature. Right. And then the other scientists looked at it and goes, ah, there are so many flaws with this study. Let me build mouse heaven. So he played, he had one dark room with a little cocaine bowl and he made the room like dingy and it had a concrete floor. The rest of it had nice mulch that was soft on their little mouse hands. They had a crack house. uh, Yeah. A little like den of iniquity, but then it had like all these tubes uh, where they can go and socialize and different. And it had like one, like literal spa cage. And then it had one. Like a McDonald's playpen, Disney world for rats. And then it had like uh, all the best food, like carrots next to celery next to this. It even had like a sanitation area where they would all poop and then the scientists would clear the poop out. So they, and then the, the mice learned, okay, I'll poop here, I'll eat here. I'm gonna go disco dance on Fridays. Like I got things to do. I got Mormon class, there's coffee over there. Next, you know what I mean? Maybe I'll be a lesbian who likes coffee. You know what I mean? I'll get out of this dogma. Yeah. And so the amount of mice that were addicted to cocaine it was like 2% or 2.2%. And it's like, yes, that's it. The environment. Yeah. Part of this, I think, is my brain. Like, because I went to public, I love public school. People shit on public school all the time. I love it. There's a clarity. Boom, you go to math. Boom, you go to history. Boom, you go to this. And I did this for 18 fucking years or whatever. Then I went to college. Then I went to grad school. So in my head, I have a playground where I go, there's so many options for me. Every day is a new possibility. Like I'm working on a book, I'm playing shows. I was just at the secret group with Kyle Smith. I had the best time in Houston doing shows. Um, You know, I have like a playground in my head. So to go down the heroin crack route and to destroy my friends around me, call the cops on my friends around me so that I could get met is, is impossible. And then, you know, I realized that there's just like other things going on with this person of why they called the cops. And to make it short, trauma. This person has a lot of trauma, but um, at a certain point, it's it's their responsibility. So I like this person trying to rehabilitate themselves from these intrusive thoughts. And I also, you know, appreciate that this person is never offended, right? So that I always go back to that. Okay, so they're very much broadcasting their attraction, but they've never offended. Can this person be a catcher in the ride to rehabilitate other people so that uh, nobody gets kitty fiddled. Let's send this person to Washington, D.C. And, and work the rounds in the Senate because I think that's where they're most needed. But anyway, that's a side issue. Um, yeah. So let's talk about clip six here. To actually need to escape. But the runway from home should be legal. It's insane that that's illegal. Like, if I was, if I was transported back in time when I was eight, mm-hmm. with all of the current knowledge that I have right now and all of the current ability to think yeah like there's still nothing i could have done when i was eight to get actually get away from my abusive parents there's nothing right yeah. like there's nothing eight-year-old can do to actually get away that, that doesn't involve like potentially throwing themselves into a more abusive situation in the foster care system yeah you know how you can like drop off an infant at uh, the fire station and they'll take care of it you should be able as an eight-year-old to like go to the fire station be like um yeah. no i actually need to get out of this house and yeah um, I, I, I think i think the solution to like large-scale child molestation is mostly just letting kids leave yeah so wait were you being molested you were being molested as a child i was not personally molested oh, okay um, you were abused I, I was raped when i was a minor but not by my parents or by an adult um it was by another teenager 
So this person was raped as a teenager, but it sounds like there was a lot of like beatings, physical abuse at eight. That the 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 eight this yeah. that number hit me hard because when they said who they're attracted to, it was nine to fourteen. And I feel like this person is obsessively going back in their mind to try to save themselves. They want to save themselves. Yeah. And that turns into this attraction. It's a traumatic reenactment uh, going back in time, you know? Yeah, or just kind of arrested development at that age. I mean, people said the same thing about Michael Jackson, that, you know, that with the career and the, or the way his dad was, um, you know, just kind of got arrested at that age emotionally. And so I could see that kind of, because I mean, I know from my own uh, experience as of um, what I'm, we'll just call abuse, um, uh, from my mother. It's I'm hung up on it. You know, I, uh, I, I know there's therapists who do this thing where you go and like comfort your young self. You imagine being that young self and, and then also being someone who comes your adult self now and telling her it's okay, whatever, like kind of that you, you should regress cause you're already doing it. So you should regress to that age to deal with it. So I could see how, um, it's very likely that, yeah, like if you get, if, if you get really hurt at these ages, then then like a possible outcome of that is that that's where you're stuck on some level. And so you're attracted. I mean, that's very possible. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the math basically checks out. So. Yeah. I don't know what you do with that other than talk to a therapist, but she can't. And I just, that's where I've started to feel really bad for this person because it's like, okay, they're, they're speaking around, they were raped, they're speaking around all this trauma when they were eight, they're attracted to nine-year-olds and it's just like, that just kept on going in my head over and over. Like, I should be able to escape. I should have been able to escape my parents. I should be able, they said, this person keeps harping on this issue. And that's so sad for me because it's like, you know, I grew up uh, decent in Jersey. I had a trampoline in my backyard. You know, there's a little bullying in high school, but honestly, I think that made me a better comic. Um, you know, I was an exchange student in Germany when I was uh, 16. Like I said, like I had a good mouse heaven, you know, and and sure, I thought about escaping, but that was always like exposure to new things was very big in our family. Right. So and also just talking about my niece and nephew, like they might be like, oh, I want to what do you want to do today? I want to sit and play, car- sit and watch cartoons all day. No, but then you get them to like a trampoline warehouse and then they're going nuts. So it's like yeah. the, when the parents know what's going on, they can create a, a bet. They can expose them to positive activities. Then it's like try to try to get them out of there when their wristband says that their hours done. Now you, now you can't even get them out of the trampoline park, you know, yeah. um, sp- uh, type of thing. So like they might go, oh, what do you want? Oh, I want macaroni and cheese. Oh, well, here's salmon and and like a spinach salad oh that looks disgusting no i want macaroni but then it's in front of them and it's delicious so when the parents are like very motivated in in um the child's development then i feel like they don't have the as many intrusive thoughts and this 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 sort of trauma of traumatically reenacting the worst aspect of their childhood over and over yeah well and so what we have here is this trans woman non-offending pedophile um, playing the role of parent to herself currently, right? Yeah. Because the, there's part of her saying what I want instead of macaroni and cheese cartoons, what I want is to be with kids. Um, but then the adult part of her says, oh, we could go to the trampoline park of adults. 
though. And then she's like, okay, you're right. Let's do that. I mean, I think that's kind of, she is split that way and we all have to be our own parents in a lot of ways. And so she's unfortunately just, just a burden to bear. We all have burdens to bear. Um, but that's her burden to bear. And I think she's doing a pretty good job of it. Um, and you brought up in your podcast, uh, piercing ears. And yeah, that is interesting. Uh, people, uh, they parents agree to have their five-year-old go down to the mall and have a, a bolt shot through their earlobe. They'll take Sometimes one-year-olds. I mean, that's b- before any consent possible. Well, and that's the point I make is like, yeah, you can pierce your baby's ears. You can also circumcise your baby. seems like it's also the parent's legal right to give your baby a Prince Albert at this point, you know, but why are we adults choosing things like that for kids don't make any sense to me. I mean, when you're getting because it's part of your religion and especially when that developed in a time before anesthesiology like some sense was made we figure it's less traumatizing for a baby than an adult but at the same time they also did it to adults who converted but and at the same time uh we actually don't know how traumatic it is for babies and whether it does just pass over them or if it is quite weird psychologically for them but nowadays uh we have great anesthesiology and if you want to get uh circumcised as a nine-year-old or a 17-year-old or a 38-year-old you can do that so i don't know why adults need to be choosing i mean your ears it's like okay if you really want to get your baby's ears pierced they'll close up it's not that big of a deal to do that but like circumcision i i think it's you know, it's just kind of a barbarism at this point, even if you're Jew, like it doesn't mean more to let him do it himself when they're a little older. I don't know. All right. Can I, my hot take is I've been circumcised. I'm Jersey Catholic trash. Uh, my hot take is, OK, I think it socialized me a little bit because, you know, it, I already my sex drive is already like, you know, pretty, pretty up there. And so, like, it, it took my sex drive mm-hmm. down to like a level where I can like keep my checking account in order and like pay my you taxes. You think being circumcised lowered your sex drive? I believe so. I uh, think wait, so. when were you circumcised? For like, for like manageable levels. Um, I was circumcised uh, like as a baby, like pretty much. Oh, day two well then how do you life. know it's lower? Because studies um, have shown your sex drive is actually higher. Uh, not your sex drive as much, but that uh, masturbation is less pleasurable for you because the skin that they cut off of your dick if you keep it, it acts as a flashlight essentially. And so you get to kind of jerk off into that. And so masturbation is actually more satisfying for you. Also being circumcised keeps your, it makes your dick um, desensitized just the way our hands are less sensitive because they're touching everything all the time. The exposed skin of your dick, if it's circumcised means that the skin deadens a little bit. And so it takes more to get you somewhere, which can be, it can be useful. It can help you to last longer. Um, but basically that still means you have a kind of a higher sex drive ultimately because masturbation and sex are less satisfying for you. It's like eating no, it's like eating low fat cookies. Um, you're not, you actually just want to eat more. That's an interesting. It, the, now, now it was popularized in America um, outside of any of the Jewish situation because that guy John Harvey Kellogg thought it would have a quote unquote salutary effect on uh, men's sex drives. He thought that it would make boys less likely to masturbate, to one have 
the experience of uh, circumcision as babies, he thought that tying that pain to your dick would help men to ultimately not want to masturbate as much, um, to associate their dicks with pain. Um, very <laughs> Victorian era stuff that was happening. And then he also thought, you know, cause he, he, cause he could see from himself from his own, he was plagued with wanting to masturbate and have sex and whatnot. So he could see, he looks down and he sees himself jerking off into the fleshlight of his dick skin and thinks, uh, these Jews are so lucky. Um, they don't have a little nature's fleshlight here. Um, and so he thought if we remove that skin, then people will masturbate less, but instead it had the low fat cookie effect where people just get obsessed because the uh, masturbation is way less satisfying to them. Listen, and, and this is just devil's eye. I've never not been circumcised, right? So I don't have a comparative mm -hmm. thing, but I will say this. I have so much, many things to be insecure about. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously I have a perfect like Olympic swimmer body. Like that, that's fine. But you Outside know, I, that, uh, yeah. uh, I'm bald, I'm this, I'm that. I got insecurities. I got weird nose hairs. I got to always uh, worry about. But, uh, you know, when ladies finally get down there, you know, they're like, oh, this is very, th this looks nice, you know, so I think it looks okay. So that, you know, so that's the other. Well, thing. yeah, we've all been raised on these things now. So, I mean, I've been raised I on beautiful circumcised penises. We've all been raised by this. We have. I mean, even as a lesbian, if you think about me going into the sex store, right, the dicks are all circumcised. So to me, I agree. I think that uncircumcised dicks look like little sandworms and they creep me out. Um, yeah. If I want to buy an uncircumcised dick, I have to pay for it in euros. You know, um, I mean, not the nicest sex stores now. They have a couple, but I don't care for it either. But that's because we were groomed that way. If we did it for a generation where uh, we just didn't do that, then everyone would kind of get over it. I think we're just used to it. And I think it's fine. There's pros and cons. It's easier for you. Men are gross and y'all aren't cleaning your dicks enough. And so it can be helpful. Also, again, uh, if you're desensitized, it can help you last longer. There's pros and cons, just like there's pros and cons to being kinky because you were raised in our weird Christian religions. Um, it's fine. I don't think you should feel bad about it at all. It's just, I think the options should be more thought through. And I think that it just doesn't make sense to me that parents should choose that for children because it, it's so feasible now to choose that for yourself. And I, I don't want people cutting girls vaginas up either, you know, in all those countries where they do that. And it's a little too close to that, that we just do that to babies, especially again, it's a long history with Jews. And I, you know, I love the Jews and I'm not trying to tell them what to do, but this thing that came out of the tradition of a guy who was just anti-sex, anti-masturbation, convincing everyone that we should all chop little boys' penises up it strikes me as quite strange. And I just think there's no reason kids can't choose that when they're older for themselves. You know, and it's just like, you know, maybe it's more positive, positive for that person to just work the deli slicer, you know, and just, just have the mint chip. Mm -hmm. If the Rocky road is, is causing all this pain, just, just have mint chip ice cream. That's fine. You know, just switch your preferences if it's better for humanity. Um, okay. This is uh, the most the, the most problematic clip I had uh, is clip seven here. There's been that, obviously, there's whatever happened with the Greeks and Romans. I really should look into that more, considering how, anyway. Um, but also those civilizations like fell and everyone thought, you know, I, I'm not really sure, but I know. It's, it's interesting to me. Uh, I've definitely heard pedophiles talk about this for more knowledgeable about history than me. Uh -huh. Okay, so that was the line there. She said, what did, what did she say? Pedophiles that are more knowledgeable of the history than me said this. Oh. Pedophiles who are more 
knowledgeable of the history than me. So this, that's what, that's what I was like, oh, you're in an echo chamber. And maybe this is all online chat stuff of pedophiles on online. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they're not sharing uh, horrible materials or just. Uh, says they're not. I think it's drawings and drawings and stories. Yes. Uh, actual child porn. No. Hand drawn. Hand drawn. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, so that's, I, I have been in comedy scenes in different cities and I'm very keen to, and I tr- try to just avoid the situation without being too much of a Jersey douchebag about it. But there, there are like situations where there'll be a room that's like a decent bar show. Okay. And then this one person who hosts it has like five friends. And then every Tuesday, the same five friends go to the same bar show. I'm not naming names right now. And what happens is this becomes an echo chamber of emotional support hacks because they do the same material in the same venue every Tuesday at this time. And instead of, and they, you know, have all these other insecurities. So when someone sucks at comedy or doesn't work hard or write, they go, oh, okay, see you next week. See you next week. And there's no accountability because of this friendship. Then other comics who are killing it around the scene are just kept out of this echo chamber of losers. And so when this person says, oh, well, you know, pedophiles who are more uh, knowledgeable than me said this, it's like, who are you? Just like you said, exposure therapy is the way out of this. Um, having different ice cream choices, if one is uh, destructive, um, putting putting a different putting a trampoline park in your brain or in, in your in your monthly rotation of things to do can just bl- blast you out into your your rut and just go, wow, this is an experience I never thought I would enjoy. You know, just adding positive things. So this I felt like yeah. was the most problematic clip there. Okay, well, so I think maybe I'm. Let me see if I'm hearing you correctly. Um, potentially, this person by spending a lot of time online talking to other people who are attracted to children and sharing stories and pictures and whatnot, uh, instead of thinking of being attracted to children as an identity, um, she should think of it as uh, being interested in heroin or some other addictive. It's an addictive. It's something she's attracted, to, but wants that's not healthy for her. And, um, and so she should think of it just as a, as a problematic thing that she's a drive, but not as an identity, because if you think of it as a drive and instead of an identity, then you know what, put down the, the drawn kitty porn and go find some more hobbies and, and make friends who aren't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you could, you can, um, it would be better if she would talk to a therapist, it would be better if she could be in that therapist Rolodex, maybe of people who Hey, you know what? You can use me as your therapist. And then this person will help you to learn how to be attracted to adults too. You know, there could be a system like that, but then at the end of the day, she should be spending 97% of her time and energy and thoughts, just going and exploring the roller coaster world rather than going and drawing pictures of the heroin bowl in the dark room. And yeah, I mean, you know, I agree that, and that's, and maybe you and I are inherently a little bit more conservative than some people or a little older. Um, That's where my brain defaults to is that that's probably the right answer. Um, I don't know though, because I just can't, you know, I'm not going to be like Freud and just be like, um, here's my theory and I'm sure of it. Uh, I just think that that's possible, but it's making me think that maybe, 
I should use, if you'd let me like a chunk of our conversation here as, because you know what, my politically non-binary, I want to have episodes where people then come on, you know, you hear an episode and you go, uh, I think y'all are wrong or, Hey, I have questions about that because then it's like, yeah, now you and I are having this conversation and now we're taking the ideas that we just explored and now we're going further. And then, you know, if I put this out and someone else says, no, you guys are wrong. Um, this is why it's not like heroin. Then we can have that, but it's like, you know, I'm not sure, but I definitely see that as a possibility that, at some point, this is self-indulgent and you're, you're attracted to adults already too. And maybe if you would just stop thinking of that as your identity and, you know, and this, <laughs> this puts me, but the, isn't this kind of central to a lot of what the conservatives versus the liberals have been fighting over for decades, but they said the same thing with gay, right? They said with gay, Hey, it's not your identity. You just struggle with same sex attraction. And so you should figure out that we have therapies for you, whatever, but like you should figure out how to get over this and live a healthy, normal life. And then everyone's kind of like, no, I think gay is a real identity thing, or there's something going on there where, you know, it's not fucking kids. And it's like, we can, we can take this on, um, with gender. We're in that place too. Like how much of this is an inherent identity and how much of this is some kind of disordered stuff that maybe, there are ways that we could help you feel comfortable with being male or female, um, but learn how to express yourself differently and whatever, and, and, you know, and, and get society on board. It's hard because society is so rigid about that asking people to accommodate their individual lives when they feel so anyway, but, but point is, this has been kind of the thing, like what is an identity that is inherent, immutable, um, just part of who you are and what is maybe some disordered thinking, something that you could work on, something that you could, you know, conversion therapy. Does it work on gays? Maybe not. Does a certain kind of it work on some people with gender issues in terms of helping them not to medicalize? Maybe for some, maybe not for others with people who are attracted to children. Is it possible there's some conversion therapy there? Clearly it's already working at least, you know, uh, our friend, the trans woman, non-offending pedophile has converted people to being at least also attracted to adults. So can, is there conversion therapy that would work to make you also just not attracted to kids anymore? You know, we really don't know. And because we, we don't get to do a lot of therapy with these people, then we, it would be, it would be so cool to figure out we could cure them, you know, but I think so far the people who have gotten to work with them have found it's kind of intractable. Is that the word? Um, that they're not able, once it's, once it's in you, they don't have, they don't seem to have a real good cure rate so far, but maybe we've yeah. never tried it the right way. And, and that's how I feel. Like I've, I did, after I got fired from Nashville confidential, I was living in Los Angeles and, and I had all this debt, credit card debt and all this bullshit. And then I thought I was going to work on the show for seven months and then I'm fired. I'm out of my ass. I'm fucked. Like find it so many ways. And so I identified myself as a balding, unemployed fucking loser. That's how I identified. You know what I did? I went to fucking Muay Thai Academy of America. And then I had another identity, which was a fucking martial artist. Okay. So this person that identifies themselves as a minor attractive person and they're in group chats all the time. I don't think that's ideal when the, the root yeah, is. I mean, it's, it's in people's Twitter bios sometimes. Yeah, you they, know, should have, they should person. have guilt and shame. Okay, They're, those are two great things that, 
that Catholicism gave me through my whole life. I've shed it, but I have shame and guilt about my negative actions. And so, um, mm-hmm. and okay, I also met hipsters that had d- devoid of guilt and shame, trust fund morons, and their identity yeah. was, I like this band. So that's why yeah. I, it. I like this band. Oh, I really like or a lot of them. It's their politics. Ugh. They supposedly have the right politics because they put their pronouns in their bio, but they shop on Amazon 24 seven and don't seem to think about the impact of that. Same people, by the way, who 10 years ago were like, I'll never shop at Walmart again and don't um, buy everything on and, and, not, and not just everything, but everything they don't need on Amazon completely supposedly care about climate change, but they buy stuff that comes in packages on trucks from the richest man in the world who's destroyed the middle class and is getting tax subsidies to get his shipping to be that free to cheap. Anyway, so like to me, yeah, at the very least, I got a package coming. I'm sorry. Go on. on. I'm sorry. At the very least, uh, I don't I think that people probably should not be identifying as if especially if you're attracted to adults too then identifying at, it's I, i'm i'm weary of all the flags right i say in a room with all these are actual countries not uh genders <laughs> behind me but um although there's some overlap <laughs> where i think the pan boy fluid fluxes uh took algeria's flag but anyway so <laughs> just kidding um you know, yeah, like I don't think that we need uh, pride parades where people go, this is the pride parade for non-offending pedophiles because it's who we are and we're out and proud. And but that's kind of where we're going. Right. Like if we keep saying that anything that someone says is an identity is an identity that they should be proud of, that's immutable. Like we got to figure out what the line is where not all of these things are immutable parts of just who you are. Like we don't even believe in souls anymore. Uh, you know, the most atheists running around. I mean, I kind of do but I kind of don't. I don't know. Um, but yet it's like as if they have like a gendered soul or is as if they, their soul is attracted to kids or something or, or like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think and especially if you have this kind of trauma. Yeah. Is it really in your genes that you're attracted to kids or is it because of that trauma? That doesn't mean you we could, are sure we could change everybody, but we really don't know. Um, I don't think I think there's plenty of therapeutic room left to explore whether these people could figure out how to not be or even if it's just um, figure out how to how to they have their attraction to kids be something that takes up, you know, 30 to 70 percent of their time, energy, mental space to something that is like at a low three percent, you know, one to three percent. Oh, still have some intrusive thoughts here and there, but I really just don't give it a lot of energy. I think. Yeah, probably she, but maybe we are at a phase where we need to explore this and figure some things out. And so they need to give it a little bit of energy right now. And then we could get to a place where we figure out how to help people not give a lot of energy to pedophilia. I don't know. So you said something interesting at the top of clip seven again. I just want to play the top of this. And there's been that, obviously, there's whatever happened with the Greeks and Romans. I really should look into that more considering how, anyway. Um, but also those civilizations like fell and everyone talked. Okay. So imagine you're a Greek, uh, you know, uh, restaurant owner and, or you're, you're pressing olive oil, you know, you're serving the community, healthy food every day, you're busting your ass. And then the Senator comes, I'm a Senator. You know what I mean? Whoa. And like, you're working, you're, you're, you're like a middle-class Grecian. And then they're like, Ugh. And they, they kidnap 
your kid and they have like the really strong horse because they could afford like the and and the horse is like struggling to have the fat greek senator and the kitties that he just kidnapped from you fiddling um and then when it's like a permissive culture in this area you're like wait a minute i'm the middle class person i'm busting my ass and the fattest greek you know senator just kitty fiddled all my kids like hold on a second can we go back to the senate and like kind of rework uh politics here and i think um that's the late stages of the imperial empire you know they have this infinite growth complex of of uh military industrial complex and this and that and, and uh you know uh kitty fiddling or whatever and uh you know secret societies and all that stuff in america today and so it's like the right before the collapse i feel because the moral culture is fucked because look this is what i want to say about trauma too the reason why i feel as though i have access to um a positive future like i think i could uh have a space in in making money from comedy and screen i got my degree in screenwriting the reason why i think this is because i wasn't traumatized so the middle class has access to take money and resources from the idle rich the idle oligarchy because they're waking up in silk sheets and they're out of touch you know, and they're out of touch real fast, right? When they get to the top, they just get lazy. It just happens. It's like a human cycle, right? So you, you, when your yeah. eyes are bouncing on, when you're trying to read a book and you have so much trauma that your eyes are bouncing around the page, you don't have access to take resources from the idle rich, right? And so like, that's why it's just like childhood trauma, having a, uh, a moral culture that is devoid of childhood trauma for me is the um like the lesson from that i got from this uh thing like like i believe in rehabilitation this person says i don't want to be judged for my worst day i don't want to be judged for my worst day i've had really bad days and and if that's like tattooed on my reputation or on the internet like my worst days like that's not going to serve me well in the long run. So I understand, but yeah. the problem with this person is they're traumatically reenacting their, their worst day over and over instead of like going to a dojo, instead of uh, going, um, getting some vitamin D. I mean, I, I live here in beautiful Austin, Texas. Yeah. And no, she was quite people, pale. Yeah. People go um, in rowboats, you know, there's a lot of outdoor activities, yeah. play some Frisbee golf, you know? Yeah. Like on the one hand, she's right that she should have been able to get herself adopted into a nice family somehow at eight years old when she realized she needed to get out of there. And that would be great for society potentially. Um, but also as an adult now, I think you're absolutely right. And if you think about a lot of these queers, I mean, let's just go full conservative right now. Right. These queers are pale. Um, they're not having sex. They're not getting any. They don't like sports. Right. I, I have a joke about non-binary, you know, like, uh, you know, because. I, I joke about separate leagues, but I'm also not fully kidding, you know, and then but trans people and their allies get mad when you say that we should have separate leagues at this point because the hormones we need. It, and they're like, no, 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 we're men, we're women, whatever. Um, and I'm like, OK, but then where do the non-binary people play? Um, what do you know? What are they going to do? And so I asked all these different non-binary people like you know, would you play on the men's or women's team? How would you handle this? And all of them say the same thing. I don't even watch sports. And it's like, yeah, the queer, this is a stereotype for a reason. Um, we have all these people who are online way too much, 
who are not learning about community and group and hard work and like, you know, and reality, you know, just last night I was sparring with my Muay Thai people and the, this guy, you know, what happens is I'm, I'm still quite weak. Um, I started in November, um, going to the gym a lot, but I'm going to the gym. I'm, I'm revving up so much that I'm also always completely sore and my muscles, you know what I mean? Like I'm like going through the thick of it, like a boot camp situation. So I'm still very weak and, you know, not very good at sparring yet. I can, I like learning the moves and stuff, but once we're into the sparring thing, I mean, it's very hard for me. I'm, you know, but I will have some moments where I get a couple of good thing, you know, get some little combo in, like I'll find an opening, even people who are better than me, you know, they have the reach, they have the strength, they have the moves. They've been doing this for years. There'll always be some little moment, you know? And so yesterday this happened and this happens a lot where it's a man, especially if he doesn't know me really, then, you know, he'll be dominating the fight completely. And then I'll find like one little thing where I'm like, and immediately I can see the testosterone flare up. And he, and this guy last night kicked me very hard in the stomach um, pushed me into a wall and the instructor happened to be there. And, you know, his English is not, he's Brazilian and everything. Um, he's like, Hey, not, no, to you, man, woman, not, you know, and it's like, that's a real experience. So because this man, and this happened again, it's because I get one hit in and he's like, he needs to assert his dominance. I'm like, dude, no one thinks I'm winning the fight. Just fucking, I, you don't need to, I don't need to be peeing blood tomorrow. Um, like it's just what I, anyway, men are stupid, but um, some hashtag, not all, but most men are very gentlemanly in some ways too much with these fights, whatever. And it's like, I could give a shit about this gender stuff in that moment. Like, because it's more complicated than just some women you could hit harder in these circumstances. Um, if they have stronger abs, if they know that, you know, whatever. Um, but I, it's, it's, it's that I'm weaker. It's that I'm newer. It's that, what are you doing? Getting your ego involved? Like it's a very complicated thing. And so would I, would I prefer the gender conversation language to be a little more nuanced if I had my druthers? Sure. But when my Brazilian instructor is there, that's just a real life thing that some of these queers, yeah, they're just not getting, they're not putting, being put up against the reality. When, when I try to talk to them about the trans sports issue and they're like, here's my philosophical reasons why it's okay for trans women to, I'm like, have you ever played a fucking sport? Have you ever engaged with physicality? No, most of these people think like, no. And so, yeah, I do think that for a million reasons, but not least of which, like, yeah, you're right. There's a theme park out there. But when you're allowing yourself to focus on, I have this issue and there's people online that have this issue. Let's all obsess about this issue together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they should be exploring the theme park more and just see if it doesn't just die down. Maybe you'll always kind of look at kids, you know, again, are, is it every kid or is it just the hot ones? So every now and then you're going to see a hot kid and you're going to be like, wouldn't I wish I could and just fucking move on with your day because you're also attracted to adults. They got sticky hands. You know, they're, they're digging in mud. You don't know where they've been. Yeah. Um, I mean, nine I, to 14 is at least like less sticky. Usually. I don't know. Uh, I will say this when we were uh, doing some kicky punchy. I mean, you got some good leg kicks in on me. I just want to say that we were, we had shin guards on. We were doing leg kick drills. I mean, you're quick. You're I have quick. some good instincts. It's just it's sparring. I mean, it's so good for me, though, because I'm trying to learn how to be freer in my body and more confident in my body. And it is so embarrassing. I'll say even more embarrassing than sparring is shadow boxing. I still want to kill myself every time they make us shadow box. <laughs> but uh we're winding down i have a couple more talking points i over prepared for okay. this uh you know we're we're hitting two hours i don't want to keep you too much past that. i i want to make a couple points here so um 
This past summer, I went to Schlitterbahn. Schlitterbahn in New Braunfels was my father. And uh, mm. it's a water park. Yeah. And I, talking about the, the, the theme park in your brain, right? Of the, the mouse heaven. Mm-hmm. I love water slides. I go nuts. I'm going on the scary ones. Yeah. As soon as we got there, they were like, this one's kind of dangerous. And I go, dad, they said this is dangerous. So like only the real dudes can do it. And so I immediately challenge his manhood. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going on the water slide and like, I'm running out, like, you know how there's like berms. I'm like at the edge of my berm and yeah. like my hands on it. I'm like, Oh fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, I don't want to die, but you know, I got to challenge my dad's manhood, yeah. you know, but we had a great time. But um, mm-hmm. look, are there some girls in bikinis running around, you know? And like, I think men are just visual. Like if they see booby yeah. in a bikini, blah, 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 uh, you know, you're going to kind of look, and it's so funny because me and my dad, we just went from line to line to line to line. We're just, we want to go on the water slides because they're so fun. I saw other guys literally sitting with beers, just watching the kids go down in the bikinis. Yeah. And you're like, okay, dude, what are you doing here, bro? Well, like, it's there. Okay, I get it. It's there. Okay. We're in a strip club. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, so um, I also want to, so women you know are very powerful uh you know and they present their bodies in in uh, ways that are like you know what i mean visually appealing so it's like yeah. uh, that's the only way i could you know whatever um but it, there's uh, empathize other- with that well and, and yeah. it, it's not great that we do have you know 11 to 14 year old girls running around in you know bikini sexy outfit type stuff that's probably we should probably tone that down as a society you know <laughs> Um, so I, in high school, never, this is like such a lesson for me, right? Cause I was a junior, my high school girlfriend was a senior and they had like senior field day. And so like it, she got this shirt with like every senior's name on the back. Right. And her and her friend went in the bathroom and she chopped up her shirt to make it like a halter top version of, of the shirt. Right. So yeah. it was just like a lacy number with her belly exposed. And she was gorgeous right like i had problems already like running interference on my other friends be like look okay this is my girlfriend okay chill so but she wore this outfit right the next Mm -hmm. day i had to fight somebody because this sophomore very accurately was like that girl's hot like one of the hottest girls in school and then i had to fist fight this person i had to fight this person and my girlfriend at the time was like yo you're like chill with the outfit huh can, Why did you have to fight him? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain it. So, so at the the day of, I go, yo, maybe chill with this outfit. My girlfriend was like, very much like, you can't tell me what to dress. Like, you're what are you a Puritan or or a, a Puritan? Well, the next day, this guy came and was like talking to her, like right in front of me. I was like, hey, dude, like she doesn't want to talk to you. And he and she like was like, yeah, go away, the sophomore. And he like hugged her in front of me. And I was like, dude, like don't like go go fuck off, dude. And he like kept coming around. So then yeah. as we're leaving lunch, he goes right behind us. And he was like, like, uh, had his body to her butt. And I turned around and I punched him in the face. Okay. <laughs> the next day at lunch, his friend came to fight me. So then there was just this melee and it's like, okay, I know like women have, are very powerful when they weaponize their femininity, you know? And it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So there is that aspect to it. Well, it's not uh, always weaponizing. Sometimes they're quite innocent of it. A lot of these women have no idea what it's really like 
um, for, for men. And also, I mean, even me, I'm at my sexual peak and I'm quite visual too, at this point. Um, you know, like, but it's, it's not that it's the same for me, but I'm just saying like, there's women, a lot of women are really pretty naive of the effect that they're having, um, with those little outfits, yeah, you know? Okay, and so, so it's, yeah. Deer, you know, they, they fight with antlers to the death for, for mates. And I literally think that's as far as this kid thought about through, he was like, oh, I want that mate. We're two bucks yeah. and I'm going to fight for it. And I was trying yeah, to warn her this, this is, and she was like, oh, whatever. Oh, you're Puritan. I can do what I want. I, it always bothers me when Dr. Drew says like, oh, for women, it's totally a subconscious. You don't think that they know that they're uh, absorbing social capital with dressing like this. I just have a hard time. Well, that's what I'm saying. Naive about quite how it functions. I think on, on some level, even a little bit less consciously, they do understand. Yeah. I don't know if they could all articulate absorbing social capital, but yeah. Um, but I just, I don't, I think they're pretty naive to like quite how viscerally it's affecting men, especially quite how like, yeah, how you say this like antler budding culture that that's, we are animals and that a lot for men and, and many of these men are a little socially retarded themselves, a little stupid, whatever. I mean, I hear, you know, uh, my friend was just telling me a story like this at, uh, his, uh, yeah. Wedding that anyway, then they had to like, go yeah. So, um, yeah, this is something that I think that like, and maybe willing willfully ignorant women. I, I, I see this from men and women, a lot of willful ignorance around these kinds of things. Um, men can be willfully ignorant about when no means no or not. And women can be willfully ignorant around how they're really affecting men in terms of the way they're presenting themselves in the world. I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And so, yeah, I mean, did your girlfriend not kind of figure it out at this point? Uh, it was just like, I think that she was getting this attention for the first time because uh, she sort of blossomed uh, in this way. And I think that, yeah, it's like a, almost like a, like you're saying a subconscious instinct, but there is a drive uh, on yeah. her part to absorb this cult this social capital because all of a sudden, yeah. Oh, people are nicer to me at the lunch line, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, what, to your point, especially at, you know, 17 years old, like all men are just disgusting. I think Jesus or Socrates said that like all men are just fucking suck pigs. I, I was it. Was Jesus something or, like that. Yeah. Something Aristotle. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone like that. So um, like men are disgusting, you know? And so uh, yeah, but anyway, um, so are you at Schlitterbond to go on the water slides or are you there to booty gaze? You know, like what part of the mouse theme park are you occupying and uh, uh, preoccupied with in, in your mind? You know, um, right. I researched uh, before speaking of how I'm a serial killer, but I'm a non-offending serial killer. Before I went to Schlitterbond, <laughs> all I was obsessed with was the accidents that happened there. And there was this... Uh, this water slide called Verrucht, which just means crazy in German. Like that's so if you're like, oh, du bist Verrucht, like you are crazy, right? So they built this water slide called Verrucht and uh, it, there was a decapitation on this. Uh, on August 7, 2016, Caleb Schwab, a 10 year old uh, boy, that he was the son of a Kansas state representative, Scott Schwab, hmm died riding for route and was decapitated. Uh, in America, we have a bank called Charles Schwab, which is interesting. 
And, uh, and uh, there's also the World Economic Forum headed by a guy called Klaus Schwab, which is weird that the Schwab and the Schlitterbahn, hmm, interesting. Hmm. Anyway, um, you go on Klaus Schwab Jr. on Instagram, erichollerbach.com, uh, Ariel, Isaac, Norman.com. I'm going to post your link tree. You got the gender fluid. Hold on. Your podcasts are gender fluids. Uh, gender fluids. And you have another one. Uh, fuck me. Where is it? What is it called? Politically non-binary. Politically non-binary and gender fluids. Any other plugs? What am I missing? Follow me on Instagram at Ellen Genderless. I have a little upcoming shows tab. Um, that's uh, yeah. That's good. And you're in Houston at uh, the Common Take It Festival. Yep. Uh, that's happening. And then uh, so that's like May 21st to 24th or, or something, something in that area. And then May 24th to June 1st, I'll be in New York City. And this summer I'm going on tour starting like June 14th through the end of July. I'll be everywhere between Austin and Vancouver. So that'll all be up on my website soon for anybody who wants to come find me out in the wild. I'm like, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, I'm an entertaining comedian, uh, comedian doing, making my own way on my weird ways of touring. And, uh, it's always fun to meet people from the internet. How many people do you think listen to this podcast? Uh, yeah, we're in the top, uh, 200 in the U S and UK. So a couple of like between 1200 and, 3,000 per episode about area. So um, if you're a highway diarrheac, what do you call your people? The Di- highway diarrhea <laughs> ma- heads? Look, I don't um, label. Like, I don't label my fans like that. You know, they're not just tools of my marketing. They're their own people. Hollerback the girls. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, Hollerback girls. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, yeah, if you come see me at a show, let me know. You found me here. Uh, what a pleasure to know you. We became fast friends and uh, you're so smart. You're so funny. One of the good ones, Ariel Isaac Norman. I'm going to stop recording now unless more plugs. No, you're good. <laughs>